This podcast is brought to you by Life Mastery Course. Get 90% off enrollment today at livewellacademy.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters Podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin, and welcome to yet another exciting edition of the Toastmasters Podcast. Every year, we have an opportunity to speak with the newest accredited speakers. And in this episode, part one of a two-part series, you'll get to hear from three of them. So let's get right to it. Today, we'll be speaking with Greg Wood. He's from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. He's been speaking professionally for over 25 years and had presented in 10 countries and five continents. Greg works with organizations that want to magically grow their leadership so they can levitate their business, make problems vanish, and watch profits appear. Some of his sessions include the magic of leadership, the magic of believing in you. I'm starting to think there's a theme here. Greg also speaks at conferences, schools, and association meetings, including speaker trainings. Greg is a contributing author to Keystones and Cornerstones, Solid Foundations for Success in Business and Life, And again, he's one of our six newly minted accredited speakers, now one of only 81 in existence. Greg Wood, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you. Well, congratulations on achieving your coveted designation. Tell us a little bit about your journey and why you decided to take the plunge. I actually started with the idea of accredited speakers only because I tripped across the page while looking for something else on the TI site. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Shortly thereafter, call it Providence, somebody approached me and said, we're starting a club, Keystone Speakers, and the idea of the club will be to help members gain their status designation as accredited speakers. So we started this club with that idea that we would help each other, that we would develop each other to be able to apply for the accredited speakers designation. So we have as a club a three-hour meeting, and that meeting is broken up into a regular Toastmasters meeting and a training session where we actually have an educational session that lasts anywhere from 45 minutes to 90 minutes where we do training on things like marketing ourselves as a credited speaker, creating our keynotes, a lot of those type of things that are necessary, things you need to learn. And I also felt that even if I never got the designation of accredited speaker, working through the program would make me a better speaker. And I've certainly found that to be true. I've learned more about marketing myself, about positioning myself, and actually presenting keynotes through working through the program than I would have any other way. And I understand you did get some help from accredited speakers, other accredited speakers. Yes. Oh, we had people come in and speak at our club. Bob Huey was one of those. You know, Bob, Cheryl Roche spoke to us, uh, Barbara Kazan. Many have come in to give our educationals to Keystone speakers. But beyond that, once I had passed level one, Cheryl Roche, we had remained friends. Cheryl Roche reached out and said, if you need any help. And I thought, yep, I need some help. And she was very good in viewing my videos and giving me pointers and, and new ideas and I really think that a big reason that I ended up getting this designation was the help of other accredited speakers, but in particular, Cheryl. I think anyone else who's shooting for this type of thing, certainly once you're past level one, if Cheryl reaches out to you and offers her assistance, jump all over it. 
because I really don't think I would have made it without her help, her coaching. Now, your presentation had a little hocus pocus. Tell us a little bit about it. To be honest, I started off as a professional land surveyor. I owned and operated a professional land surveying firm for about 20 years before I left that to do entertaining and speaking as a full-time career. I started off as a magician. That was my calling at one point. I, I was theater trained in my early 20s. I was a member of Manitoba School for Theater and Allied Arts and Actor Showcase and many of those things. Just before I was 30 and I started to perform magic, and I started to use it as a method to grab an audience's attention so you could teach them concepts. And that's really where it all started for me, was through the magic, being able to use it to grab somebody's attention. I had spoken many times through the Kinsman Speakers Contest, but really found I could grab someone's attention when I could tie it into a magic effect. And they would watch, especially kids, they couldn't look away because they had to know how it was going to end. So they would watch right to the end and then grasp the concept better. I was wondering how you go from land surveying to, to magic, but that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I was wondering, magic and message, you, you sort of alluded to the fact that you catch the people's attention, but do some people find that as a visual aid, it can be distracting or it can take away from the message you're trying to convey? It depends on what you're trying to convey. I have seen it done where... The magician goes out, buys a new trick, and then he wants to find some message to fit inside that trick. And that is not how things work. I decide what I'm going to say first, the information I want to convey, the steps that I want people to take, the changes I want them to make in their life. Then I see if I have something that can help that, help me explain that better. And that's what I would do. So if you're trying to force the information or the action into a magic trick, that doesn't work. Also, it's not that I'm making you know 20 or 30 women appear or cutting anyone in half anymore. I got too old to be carrying those things in and out. I used to cut a woman in six. I used to float them in the air. We did all those things. My wife jumped in and out of baskets, and I shoved swords at her. <laughs> and still happily married. We traveled with uh, four or five of us in a, an illusion show, but now it's down to speaking and doing smaller effects and it really is just as a storyteller will tell a story or people will use powerpoint slides and images to get their ideas across i will use magic in the same way so that's the secret of a successful relationship yep the magic also offers me the opportunity to offer people at district conventions or corporate events to have me do both the keynote address and a closing banquet show. So I can kind of give them a two for one. I was wondering if you could provide just a little mini example, perhaps an example of here's the trick and here's the message. We quite often listen to other people say mean things about us. And while that can hurt us, sticks and stones can break our bones, but names will never hurt us. Boy, that's a load of isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We can really be hurt by those things. But they pale in comparison to the things that we say to ourselves, and we tear ourselves to pieces. We'll say things to ourselves, and we believe it because we're the ones saying it. So obviously we believe it to be true. We'll say things like, I'm no good at remembering names. That was a terrible one for me. I could never remember someone's name. Now your name is written down here, plus I have a hint because my name is also written down here. So it's easy to remember Greg, but I was really bad for a while at remembering names, 
but it would become a self-fulfilling prophecy because I would say it and I was tearing myself apart. Now, which time I tear a newspaper into pieces as I'm talking about tearing ourselves down. And we really do. We really do harm ourselves with this self-talk when we talk badly about ourselves and we tear ourselves to pieces. And we have to remember to say things like, I am worth it. I'm getting better at remembering names. You see, Greg, I can't say now that I'm good at remembering names because I won't believe that because that's still a lie. But I'm improving or getting better at remembering names. That I can do. And when I do that, I build myself up. And it's not tearing me down. It's building me up, at which time I put the newspaper back together. I think I'm going to have to take your advice because some days I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I can remember memorized all kinds of stuff to work with magic tricks, and yet I can't remember my wife's birthday. Uh Uh-oh, that's a bad one. (laughs) She says I have a bad memory because I forgot three things last year. I forgot her birthday. I forgot our wedding anniversary. And apparently I forgot who's the boss. Are the tricks you do for your adult audiences and your organization audiences different than you use for kids' audiences? Or are they similar? Maybe the messages are different. Some of them will apply to both. Uh, A rope trick, for example, can apply to both audiences. Uh, A turn and restore newspaper I would use for both audiences because adults and high school students will both tear themselves down. So I'll use that particular effect for two audiences. But I don't use children's tricks. I worked for many years, of course, with family audiences, entertaining family audiences. And kids love when something goes wrong for the magician, the magician in trouble, or I misname colors, or I misname the children up there. It's all funny and cute, but you don't stand in front of a corporate audience and misname colors and call people by the wrong names. It's just not part of it. So the humor is more adult-based. Now, by adult, I don't mean blue, but it's aimed at things that we understand more. Fair enough. I know on your website, you also have little videos in terms of sharing how you do some of your tricks. I'm going to ask you, Greg, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? The best way would be to email me, Greg, G-R-E-G, at Gregwood, G-R-E-G-W-O-O-D, dot C-A. Or... If they're looking for more information on strictly entertainment, comedy magic shows, then look under comedyillusions.com. Greg is a name I'll never forget, obviously. (laughs) Greg Wood, once again, congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation. And of course, thank you for appearing on our show. I wish you all the best. Thanks, Greg. On the line from North Carolina, we have Valda Ford. She's the CEO of the Center for Human Diversity, a nonprofit agency dedicated to improving communication in between and across diverse groups. Over the past 30 years, she's worked in 57 countries with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, tribal chiefs, Afghani leaders, Buddhist monks, healthcare professionals, and law enforcers to improve health, decrease negative outcomes, enhance leadership skills, and decrease vulnerability. Valda is a serial entrepreneur and has opened successful businesses in the U.S. and the Caribbean. She's dedicated to simplifying health and wellness and uses her experience as a registered nurse and public health expert to bridge the gaps between the doctor and the patient. Valda is also a local radio celebrity, having produced over 100 podcasts, puts on her own seminars, and is a frequently sought-after speaker and consultant. 
Valda is a distinguished Toastmaster and now accredited speaker and currently the president of two clubs and loves serving in District 37. On the line from North Carolina, Valda Ford, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you, Greg. It's such a pleasure. Well, first of all, congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation. That was really something. I tell you, being on the big stage and being with such a fine, high caliber group of people, I was worried about it for a moment, but I'm glad I pulled it out. You said you were worried. How was your journey? So what did that look like? The journey was interesting. I actually started looking at the accredited speaker a couple of years ago, and unfortunately, I had a really bad car accident, which gave me some memory issues, PTSD, and I kept doing things that were not completely right. I sent in a video that was either too long or had some editing, things that I would normally have caught before my accident. So I had to wait and I reached out to several people who got the accredited speakers designation and they were so amazing and willing to help. And so I had them just sit with me and make sure that while my brain was recalibrating, that I was actually submitting it the right way. And that's how I got there. Well, it sounds like you've overcome all of your challenges. I want to speak a little bit about your presentation. You opened with singing, Change is Gonna Come. And when I heard Sam cook, I thought I knew there was something special cooking. Tell us a little bit about your presentation. My presentation went straight to addressing things that people usually get wrong that should be simple. But when Sam Cook said a change is going to come, I think we have to change our mindset about our health. We have to be accountable and responsible. We can't just explain everything away based on genetics or the sun didn't rise the right way that day. But I find that a lot of people get poor information or misinformation. Let's talk about diabetes. Diabetes is something that affects so many people. I imagine that for the people who are listening, if they don't have diabetes, they know someone who has it, someone who's died from it, or someone who has suffered a permanent injury or disability as a result. When you know about diabetes and you know everything there is to know about it, you can mainly avoid it. There are two main types of diabetes. That is the type that means your pancreas is not working, so you're not producing insulin. And then there's what we call adult onset diabetes or type 2, which usually means that the pancreas is working, but maybe the body isn't accepting the insulin or it's resisting the insulin. But if you have type 2, you have a lot of good opportunities to keep from going from a normal blood sugar to actually having diabetes such that it changes your life and alters your life and potentially ends your life. I think we find sometimes that until we actually get to the point where we're feeling poorly, we often promise ourselves that we're going to do something and then sometimes we get a wake-up call and it's, sometimes it's information that we don't want to hear. You are providing us with some really critical, important information, but yet you spun it in such a way, infusing humor and making it entertaining, that for me, when it came to an end, I wanted to hear more. So how did you go about creating this and probably realizing that sometimes people just don't want to hear these types of things? Well, as a registered nurse for a lot of years, I know people don't want to hear it. And even if they hear it, they might not be at the point that they can absorb the information that they need. 
what I find is if you make it less onerous, less deadly, less threatening, and you just say, look, if you have your blood and you look at your blood the same way you'd look at, say, fresh motor oil, fresh motor oil is clear, it's beautiful blood that doesn't have a bunch of extra junk in it, like too much sugar, too much cholesterol, looks nice and it flows easily. We all have issues, but mainly we're scared to death. We bought into stuff that my auntie had diabetes and I'm going to die from it. And my mama went blind. I'm going to, I'm going to go blind. And none of that is necessary. So I like to give people things they can look at. For instance, I'm five feet, seven inches tall. When you know about blood sugar, you know that the hemoglobin A1C is a test that you can look at blood sugar over time. If your blood sugar is under 5.7, that means you have normal blood sugar. If it is over 6.5, then that means that you are really into diabetes. So you have an opportunity between 5.7 and 6.4 to fix that. So I always tell the story that I'm five feet, seven inches tall, and I'm a good person. I dated a guy who was 6.4 who was fine as he could be, but he wasn't worth a cuss. So... I get you to remember that 5.7 is good, 6.4 is bad, and people always come back to me saying, you know, I never understood those numbers, but I remember your story about that sorry six foot four inch boyfriend, and I know I don't ever want to be there. So that's a story that they can keep with them and use to remember why they want to stay in those lower numbers. That's a visual that really sticks. Now, I didn't catch your presentation live. I did catch it through Toastmasters On Demand, which everyone can catch again if they do want to check out Velda's presentation and all the accredited speaker presentations. So in fact, capture the whole conference, if you will. That analogy that you use with the motor oil and the five foot seven and the six foot five, six foot four, that's a visual that is permanently ingrained in my brain. And again, now I have some reference point, which which really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I find that that's good. I'm good at telling stories. I was a middle child. I had very aggressive siblings on either side, so I had to keep them entertained. So I had to find things that would make them just stop wanting to punch me out and just sit still and listen. <laughs> Another analogy that you use was portion sizes. And tell us about the cereal boxes. And I loved it because... When I had my cereal the other morning, I thought about it. I can give you something that relates to what you're doing every day. It makes sense. It's simple for you to look at. Most of the time, we are so accustomed to having supersized everything, we slide into having larger portions than we believe. The average size of cereal should be about a half to three quarters of a cup. However, most people are having two cups, two and a half cups, three cups of cereal, but they're still giving themselves the calorie count from the box that says one serving is 150 calories, where they've actually had 500 calories. Then they wonder, why is it that I'm not losing weight? Or why is it that my blood sugar is so high? Or why is it that I can't get ahead of this curve? It's because we lie to ourselves. If you look at a hamburger from the 1970s is the size now of a kid-sized burger. We're used to getting a burger that's at least a quarter pound of meat, maybe a half pound, looking at the calorie counts like it was the smaller burger. That's what we need to change. 
Not to mention the sodium content. We could spend a whole day on sodium content, but if we could at least just start with the size. So do you find that using these types of analogies are really helping to get the message through to people? That is the thing that was most rewarding for me while I was still in Chicago. When I got off the stage, there were people who came up to me to say, you know what? I have never thought about that cereal. And now that you've told me, I'm going to take the time to use a measuring cup until I can re-educate myself about that. Or people who have diabetes, when I tell them that when their blood is all clogged up with too much sugar, that it looks like dirty motor oil, no one wants to have that in their body. I understand you're also taking your message right across the world. Absolutely. I am so fortunate that I have people from at least 27 countries who follow me on Facebook. I get to travel. I have been to 57 countries and had the opportunity to do things like develop sustainable vision programs, get ophthalmic doctors and nurses working with people in refugee camps. What I find is that even though the language may be different, the culture may be different, the thirst to be healthy and to make each following generation healthier is there. So people want those stories and those easy to figure out methods for being healthier. Valda, before we go, I'm wondering if you could offer us one piece of health advice so that we do not become a statistic. The simplest thing to do that most people don't do is move. We are not made to be still. We are set up these days to sit in front of a computer screen or to drive everywhere, but walking. A study just the other day by Northwestern University showed seniors who walk at least 10 minutes a day decrease the possibility that they will be disabled physically by 85%. If you don't use it, you will lose it. And the final thing is, do not think that your body is automatically going to give you a signal that something is wrong. You cannot feel your blood pressure going high. You will not feel your blood sugar going high until it's high enough to kill you. So have a good relationship with a healthcare provider and know your numbers like your blood pressure, your blood sugar, and your cholesterol. Walk 30 minutes a day and you will have a great life. That's sage advice, Velda. Perhaps you can let us know how people can get a hold of you. Feel free to look for my website, valdafort.com. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and on LinkedIn. I'm always glad to talk to my Toastmaster friends out there from around the world. Alda B. Ford, once again, congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation and all the best in the future. Thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Edwin Eddinghausen has made a living off saving lives through teaching cardiopulmonary resuscitation, also known as CPR. More than 30 years ago, Edwin and his wife started their own business, Lifesaver CPR, in Murrieta, California. He was inspired to do so after leading the course in college. He loved incorporating humor and wit into his classes, and since then he's hosted almost 8,000 seminars and issued more than 100,000 CPR certificates. Edwin's hobby is endurance racing so he runs distances ranging from marathons to 100-mile races. He's currently transitioning from his CPR training into the area of motivational speaking, 
Edwin has been a Toastmaster on and off since 1990 and is currently a member of three clubs. Edwin Eddinghausen, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for inviting me. Congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation. How does it feel and how did you come about getting into this gig? It feels great. Uh, it's awesome. And the way I came about getting into the accredited speaker program, actually, it was uh, two years ago. I was in a speech contest. I came out as Darth Vader and I nailed it. The contest, the voting was taken, had taken place, and then they announced the winners. And third place wasn't me. Of course, I was first. Second place wasn't me. And then first place, they announced Edwin William Eddinghausen in my mind. But actually, they announced somebody else. It wasn't me. And I didn't even take one of the top three spots. But... What came of that was the Master of Ceremonies was an accredited speaker from Canada. In our district, we didn't have any homegrown accredited speakers. And because I lost the contest, I actually had a chance to chat with her one-on-one. -on -one, and she encouraged me to pursue the accredited speaker program. I actually didn't think I was qualified. And after a, a short chat with her, she said, oh, definitely, you can, you can do that. The reality is, ironically, if I had won the contest, I'd have moved on, but probably would not have pursued the accredited speaker. And because I lost the contest, that gave me the opportunity to have that chat with Dr. Margaret Hope. So you were exiled to the dark side. I sure was. But interestingly enough, your speech is about life, the, the magic of CPR. Tell us a little bit about your presentation. I've been a CPR instructor now for probably close to 40 years, and I've owned a business for 34. I started teaching CPR way back when I was a younger man, and there was a consistent way that people taught the course. And quite frankly, most CPR classes, the majority of them are just very boring and dry. I started adding some humor into my program. Back in 1990, I actually joined Toastmasters to become a better speaker and was a member of Toastmasters for two years. And then rejoined again almost two and a half decades later. But during that whole time, I was a full-time professional CPR instructor, and I just continued to tweak my presentation and add humor to it and just make it a more fun experience. And I've now taught more people CPR than anyone else in the, in the world. I've conducted over 7,900 CPR seminars. I've certified over 100,000 people. I really love to teach a subject that really can make a difference, can actually bring a dead person back to life. During my journey, I've actually twice performed CPR. During the middle of my CPR class at a health center, they ran in and got me to come out and perform CPR on someone that had collapsed on the floor. And just two months ago, during a Toastmasters area speech contest, one of the speakers collapsed during his speech. I went up and performed CPR as well. So kind of a, a full circle, the connection of, of Toastmasters and speaking and, and CPR. It's a really serious topic. And of course, we talked offline and you had mentioned that your audience is primarily some medical professionals, but primarily dental health professionals. What made you decide to make it humorous? I mean, I watched the presentation remotely from the Toastmasters on Demand. It was funny because I was laughing, but yet I was 
looking at it on a serious note, you not only performed CPR on Charlie, your dummy, <laughs> you delivered it in a very humorous fashion, but you gave us some some practical guidance, practical advice. You shared some history and how, how CPR has changed. How did you go about doing that? What made you decide to take that route? Well, I attended CPR classes. They were just boring. I felt that I could actually have a better impact on people if I made it fun. It would be much easier for them to learn. And the bottom line, the objective was for them to retain the information. Because in a real emergency, you don't think. It's just reactionary. It doesn't come from your head. It comes from your gut and from your heart. So that's why I tailored my training. And over the years, it's just it's evolved. The first time I started using a little bit of humor, it was just one line here or there. And then over time, I just added more and more and more. And many times, actually, in my CPR class, something will happen or someone will make a comment. And it's like, okay, that's now going into the class. That's something new. Do you find that the humor helps make a better connection? Because when you're there and it's happening, it's scary. It's really scary. It definitely makes a connection. And for me, because it's my profession, it's how I make a living, it's all about the callback for the recertification two years down the road. If you were to look me up, you'd find information about me, some about my speaking or my TEDx or even about my, my running. But you really wouldn't find anything about my CPR. I don't have a website. I don't do any advertising. All of my business is repeat and referral. And my retention rate, my callback every two years is nearly 100%. So it not only has to be information that, that's usable, but it also has to be presented in a way to where they got an experience that they want to repeat next time. And especially if they're comparing it to other CPR classes they've had in the past, I set the bar at a higher level and that's how I stay in business. What are a couple of things, a couple of tips for people in terms of CPR? Probably the most important thing is it's a scary situation and people are are afraid to get involved. What if I screw up? What if I make a mistake? The bottom line with CPR, CPR is cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Cardio is heart, pulmonary, lungs. Resuscitation is revived. So CPR is simply reviving the heart and lungs. You only perform CPR when someone's heart and lungs have stopped working. Now, Greg, here's a really difficult question for you. You're going to have to really think hard on this one. What's the four-letter word begins and ends with a D that we call someone whose heart and lungs have stopped working. Dead. <laughs> Brilliant. You must have seen my accredited speaker presentation. I did. The bottom line is you're doing CPR on someone that's already dead. So if they're already dead, you really can't mess it up. If you perform CPR on someone that's already dead, how much worse can you make them? Anything that you do is better than nothing. I really like the way you use the, the root beer analogy or the root beer bottles or the bottles on the <laughs> wall. I mean, that really right. put it in a pers into perspective to being able to remember some of these things. Well, it's about mnemonics. I use those throughout my program all the time because those learning aids, again, the things that will, will stick. In the real emergency, it has to be simple and be right there. Einstein said, make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. And so I try to use that in my CPR training, make it as simple as I can, but no simpler. Get, make it as simple as I can to get the message across. And so the bottom line is on the scene, make sure it's safe for you, tap the person, see if they respond. If not, call 911, check for pulse, no pulse, start pushing on their chest. 
you can do the compressions and breathing. That's what we still teach for the healthcare professionals. But because of the yuck factor, a lot of people don't want to put their mouth on someone they don't know. So now we teach just do the compressions, compression only, hands only, CPR, and just keep pushing on their chest about 100 beats a minute, which the song staying alive or another one bites the dust or 99 bottles of beer on the wall you know all those have that 100 beats per minute kind of a, a rhythm to them and just stay with that and keep on performing cpr until the paramedics arrive on scene that's it i just gave you a cpr class that takes me 90 minutes i give it to you in 60 seconds that's great because i would never have figured out how much was 100 beats per minute just couldn't picture it <laughs> right well, Ed, this has been fascinating, and I wish we had a lot more time to talk, but I understand that a project has come about because of Toastmasters and because of the accredited speaker program that you were working on. Yes, it has. Actually, I teamed up with an individual that organizes our local TEDx. It's TEDx Temecula. In fact, I gave my icebreaker speech, and after that, he came up to me and said, Ed, would you like to give a TEDx presentation, a TED Talk? And I was blown away by the opportunity. He is combining with, with my knowledge as a qualified speaker and a credit speaker. We're putting together a package that's going to be training individuals how to present a TED Talk worthy speech and also how to give a qualified speech or an accredited speech and also the whole process. It's a training program, a coaching program that will take individuals to the point where they're ready to give an accredited speech presentation. Our program is Standing Ovation Speakers Academy. If someone wants to get more information about that, because we plan on actually being able to coach people by video as well, remotely, so they can contact me at speakupcoaching at gmail.com. That's, again, speakupcoaching at gmail.com. Fantastic. Ed Hedinghausen, once again, congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation, and thank you for helping people keep people alive. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. If your life is perfect, stop the podcast now. Still with me? Great. I've put together an intensive online course on life mastery at livewellacademy.com. Based on decades of research and experience, I invite you to participate at 90% off the release date rate while I complete all the lessons with the expected completion by the end of 2019. At livewellacademy.com, you will learn how to really connect with others, the tricks of having a strong relationship, what you need to know about your health and staying fit, how to increase your overall well-being, how to be a better person, how to be a responsible member of society through improving your critical thinking skills, how to be more creative, how to sell, how to handle money and make more of it, learn about all the major religions of the world, learn about getting a job and creating one. Learn about success and how to achieve it, and more. This course is a result of the continued research that suggests that adults in the United States today are woefully unprepared for today's social and professional environment. People struggle with effective communication, relationships, weight and health issues, depression, life purpose, achievement, discerning fact from fiction, selling ideas to others, earning enough to live comfortably, finding jobs, and overall peace of mind. These are problems that get in the way of living a happy and fulfilling life 
when one's energy is spent on just trying to get by. This course addresses each of those problems and many more with the goal of helping you avoid those problems while focusing on what energizes you most. By the end of the course, you will be on the right track to designing the life you want to live and living it well. Register today at livewellacademy.com while the 90% discount lasts.